Howdy, this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So what's BetterHelp, Ems? Basically, it is online therapy. BetterHelp matches you to one of 32,000 licensed therapists based on your location and your preferences. And then you can access therapy from your laptop or even your phone. Helen, you've uh, been through therapy, right? Yeah. I was going through life not realising that all these horrible negative thoughts that were just like weighing down on me, that actually I could set myself free from them. Going to therapy has given me tools to work on those thoughts and realise that, you know what, I don't have to believe those thoughts. And now I'm like, is that really the case, Helen? Do you really, you know, and and when things like that are going on, I now know that I need to go and do some yoga, meditation. And you know what, none of that would have happened without me having therapy. I've just gone on to their website and straight away it asks you just several questions so that you get the right therapist for you. Then it asks you about your sexuality. So I put in that I was a lesbian. Straight away, the website asked me, did I want a therapist that specialised in LGBTQ plus advice? And I put yes, because that to me is really, really important. And I think that would be important for a lot of people, really. Awesome. To find out more about it and to get 10% off your first month, head to betterhelp.com slash effinghormones. That's betterhelp.com slash effinghormones. Hello and welcome to Effin Hormones, the podcast about perimenopause and beyond. I'm Emma Goswell, and can you believe it? We're only at the end of series three. Now, we will be taking a short break, but fret you not, you will have us back in your lug holes after the summer holidays. So, just to remind you, Series 3 began with the amazing Dr Louise Newsom, who we were thrilled to get on the podcast, and she gave us so much useful advice. There's been a lot to take away from all of our guests over the past few months, so let's find out what my three mates, Terry, Bina and Helen, have learnt from it all. They are here with you now. Uh, but first of all, let's have a catch up with the girls like we normally do. How are you all doing? Hola. Hello. Good, good, good. Bonjour. <laughs> Bonjour. Very international this evening. Top of the afternoon to you. <laughs> right, now we've gone round the globe. <laughs> How's everyone doing? I think I'm all right, but I mean, it's a shame we haven't got our cameras on tonight because I was going to show you a weird thing that I've developed on my right wrist and I swear this has only been there in the last few months. I've got like a, a patch of dark hair on the inside of my mm. right wrist. That's not normal, right? That's What? Isn't a patch of dark hair on the inside of your wrist. Yeah, and it's not on the left side. So I'm thinking, is it because oh. I use that exact part of my body to rub in what? my oestrogen and my testosterone? And it's made it grow extra hairy. Do you not move around? Do you not rotate where you put no, it? I well, no, no, I don't. Well, you should. I should, shouldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> Process of elimination. <laughs> this bit that I keep putting shit on is going hairy. Not shit, it's the finest HRT money can buy, actually, Terry. Right, I am absolutely flummoxed, confused and bamboozled, right? Maybe it's the brain fog, but just take it slowly. Talk me through this again. So you've got your HRT cream, right? Yeah. And you rub it on the inside of your wrist. Have I got that right? Yeah, no, I'll tell you what I do. I squirt it all the way down the inside of my left arm and then I rub it in with the inside (laughs) of my right wrist. Why? So that goes directly onto the cream. I don't know. I just don't want it in my hands. Like perfume. That's so like when weird. You do perfume. I'm rubbing like wrists to wrist. I never all got red. Yeah, very Very similar to putting on perfume, Bina. Yes, I'm sure we've all got our own techniques. That just happens to be mine. And <laughs> that is so sorry, but that's weird. What? What? I don't, I'm. 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 I'm speechless. Rub it on your legs. Why? Well, how do you put yours on? Well, I don't use it, do well, I? T- but if I've got like cream. Just- then, then I'd you put it on my hand and rub it in with my hand. So you got a hairy oh, wrist. God, imagine we've got hairy palms. You've got like an obscure patch of hair on your wrist. Oh, crikey. Yes, and this has only been developed in the last few months, so I think it's got to be HRT related. And, and, and just to be clear here, it's on the side, the same side that your palm is on, right? <laughs> yeah. That's well, you shouldn't weird. really have hair, should you? You're weird. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. I thought this was supposed to be a supportive podcast. <laughs> I know, I thought, I thought, I don't know, some new lump that had appeared or something, but no, hair has sprouted on the inside of your I thought you were going to say that you've got some kind of like um, (laughs) ganglion from overuse (laughs) of your wrist. Yeah, and I'm just one of them. (laughs) 
Well, listen, I'm I'm, so, I'm sorry for not being particularly supportive, <laughs> but that, you've just kind of blown my mind a bit there. I mean, in terms of menopause <laughs> symptoms, it's not it's not up there. It's not awful. It's not going to stick martyr ruin my life. <laughs> I'll probably live. Dear doctor, I've gone yeah. hairy. <laughs> I am. Yeah. I'm literally looking at the underside of my wrist now, and like, <laughs> I don't even know if I've even got any hair on there. That, this. That, yeah, you've just blown blown my mind. What's that joke? Is that sign of madness? Is that you look for hairs on the palm? I mean, there's something in that, isn't there? Well, it does remind me of a, da- a joke that my dad used to tell me all the time, and it's, um, "Doctor, doctor, it hurts when I do this. Well, don't do it then." I mean, that is basically that, isn't it? <laughs> it's basically that. <laughs> It's as bad as Doctor Doctor. I feel like a pair of curtains. Pull yourself together. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. More Dr. Dr. jokes. We really have reached the pinnacle of dad jokes in this episode now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Anyway, listen, look, I can't believe it's the end of series three, but we're having a little catch up. So everyone's been going on about this Bridget Christie thing. Has anyone watched it? Can you explain what it is? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know who she is, but she's she's written it and starred in it and sung the theme tune, wrote the theme tune. But it's a drama comedy about a woman going through the menopause and it's actually called The Change and it started on um, Channel 4 a few weeks ago. You can watch the whole lot on uh, their system that, that, whatever they call it, (laughs) Brain More 4 telly. More (laughs) 4. That one. The television. You can watch it on that thing that attaches to your wall that has a remote, you know. The HRT's not really kicked in that well tonight, has it ever? Jesus. (laughs) Feeling a bit hysterical tonight. I don't know what's wrong. Okay, look, breathe, everyone, just breathe. Okay. (sighs) Okay. Anyway, I'm going to recommend it. I've watched the first two or three episodes, and there's some really good um, other actors with doing cameos in this. So Omar Jali is her husband, who is very annoying. She's got teenage children. She has basically hit the menopause, but didn't realise it was menopause. Like a lot of us, thought that she was going through dementia. Um, although in the first episode, I will say there's a very unrealistic, I think, compared to everyone we've spoken to, scene where she goes to the doctor and tells tells him all of her problems. And he straight away goes, oh, yeah, you've got the menopause. We do like some HRT, which would never happen. Not on your first visit to the doctors, <laughs> wow. I don't think. Well, I mean, to be fair, Sharon, for example, who, um, if you listen to the episode, When a Man Loves a Woman, she went through a terrible time, didn't she? And they gave it her HRT straight away. So, I mean, hopefully some of the stuff, you know, the stuff that we're doing, the stuff that all the other campaigners, hopefully it is starting to chip away at it all. I think it was when the the elderly doctor offered her testosterone to improve her sex life. I thought that wouldn't necessarily happen on the first visit to a doctor, would it? Oh, wow. No. I think you'd normally have to push quite hard for that so all i'll say is there's a few bits that are not that realistic but it is very funny and she's basically a woman that's reached the edge she's written a journal of all the invisible work that she's done as a woman like tidying up after her entire family for the last 25 years and kept journals and hidden them around the house um and then she just does one and goes off into the countryside to live in a caravan and meets lots of weird people it's slightly out there and weird but it is it does talk about all the issues that we have been talking about on the podcast for the last however many years so and it, and it is funny there is um, there's Paul, Paul Whitehouse is in it who, um, oh I, I love Paul Whitehouse he's my fave I love him he actually plays a hilarious character he's like a sort of a, a dirty old man in the pub who she meets and um, <laughs> she basically tells him to do what and she's just she's a woman that's reached the end of her tether and she's got to the menopause and she's just not taking any crap anymore basically so she said look I don't want you to talk to me. I don't know you. I've spent the last 50 years pleasing everybody else and now I'm going to please myself and I want you to fuck off. <laughs> like, yes, that's kind of what we all want to say to annoying old men in the pub, isn't it? Really? That sounds great. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's mm. some very good moments. Very good moments. Definitely great. tuning in. Yeah, Yeah. no, you should. One other bit that I just yeah, remembered that cast. I thought was quite funny. They're really good cast. Oh, uh, what's her name? Lisa Tarbuck. Lisa Tarbuck, how did you know that I was thinking of her? Because I'm looking yeah, at her now, I'm Googling. She, yeah, she's very good. But there's a hilarious... And Susan Lynch, I love Susan Lynch. I don't know which one she is. Susan Lynch is in it? Yeah. Or oh. an Irish actress. It's got some very good people in it, but there's this hilarious bit at one point where they're all having a meeting in the town hall and this woman gets very irate about what's going on in the village and she's shouting the odds at this town hall meeting and this man turns around to her and goes, Oh, love, calm down and get yourself 
some HRT and then she just shouts <laughs> she just shouts well I wonder if there was any left and I was like oh yes wow. that's topical that's <laughs> topical oh, that's good <laughs> so yeah there's that's some very great. funny moments in it yeah oh I love that that sounds brilliant I'm definitely mm. going to watch that mm. thanks for the recommendation a pleasure speaking of pleasure <laughs> great segue Terry Way. great segue so yeah speaking of pleasure coming up you're going to hear from Dr Claire McCauley who is, she's an oncology doctor, actually, but um, she describes herself as a sex science geek. That's how she describes herself. And we're going to be talking about sex. Eek! S-E-X. I have to say, I really wish Terry had been there for that interview. (laughs) Oh, I wish I had as well. Would you have blushed, you think, Terry? Oh, God, no, it was brilliant. She was great. I thought she was so reassuring and just her whole, everything about the way she dealt with it was just I was like oh I want to book an appointment with you not that I need one but it was like (laughs) clearly not (laughs) she was just really really reassuring and just you know and just broke those taboos Mm. so I yeah I thought she was fantastic so just to explain a bit further she does um, uh, help people um, mainly women in midlife and menopausal women you know learn to sort of enjoy themselves enjoy their bodies enjoy their their sex lives again and the reason why we booked her we wanted to speak to her is because a previous episode Carmel Cardona, which is uh, Carmel was back in the second series. Carmel had a surgical menopause due to having treatment for cancer. She was in her, uh, in her mid 30s, I think, and she was literally in her honeymoon period because she had just got married. And she, she just, the impact that having a, an early surgical menopause had on her, and no one talked to her about the impact it was going to have on her sex life. So she nominated uh, Dr. Claire for an Effin, one of our Effin awards. Oh, yeah. And so I really wanted to book her ever since then for that. It's taken a while to pin her down, but we got her in the end. And boy, am I glad we spoke to her because honestly, the advice that she gives, she makes it okay to talk about stuff that we've all been scared to talk about, quite frankly, for the past couple of series. She makes it okay, doesn't she? She does, and she yeah. laughs about it as well. Doesn't, isn't she also known as Dr. Dry Fanny? Something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was more of a sort of nickname, really. I mean, yeah. you know. So she runs this group called The Pleasure Possibility, which is a private group on Facebook. And, you know, she helps a hell of a lot of people. What did you think of Abina? I thought she was fab. And I think it's just great that someone's just really open. And as Emma says, she can have a laugh about it. Make it all right to laugh about and make it all right to talk about. Right. It is time for you to hear from our guest for this episode, Dr. Claire McCauley. Claire is an oncology doctor who treats people with breast cancer. She's also a self-proclaimed sex science geek. Yes, interesting. We'll find out exactly what that entails in a little bit. And I must say, hands up, this isn't a subject that we've dived into a lot here on FN Hormones, because we're all prudes. Speak for yourself. (laughs) Helen's going to talk about sex a lot. I cannot wait. Um, But we are going to dive into this. So welcome, Claire. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, Claire. And congratulations on your effing. I know I'm absolutely delighted to be here. And thank you for having me. And just to acknowledge, I know this is hard for people. This is why I do it. Because actually, it can be really, really difficult to talk about. Do you ever feel awkward about it? Yeah, yes, sometimes. I think I'm over it now. I think when you get to that point where you've done it so much that it almost kind of trips off your tongue. But yeah, of course, I think we all have those periods of time where we feel a little bit uncomfortable for whatever reason it might be. So absolutely. So I'm really grateful that you're doing it because sometimes we just got to feel the discomfort and get on with it anyway because it's so important. I agree. Well, let's get on with it. What I'm really interested to understand is your sort of career trajectory. Like, How do you go from treating people for breast cancer to then doing all this work as a sort of sexpert, if you like. Okay, so that's a really good question. And actually, for me, the, the trajectory seems quite linear. It seems quite straightforward. But people look at it and go, how, what, how did you get to there? But I think that the reason that it came up for me initially was I was treating people for breast cancer and we make many of them, Carmel will have explained to you, we make them deliberately menopausal with the treatment that we give them for their breast cancer if they have a hormone-sensitive breast cancer. So we talk to them about what that means and what a menopause might mean and you know, a surgically, a surgically induced menopause if they also have their ovaries removed or a chemical menopause because of the drugs we give them for breast cancer. And 
people were coming back and, and nobody was asking them about what was happening with their sex life. And at the same time, I was having my own personal sexual exploration, awakening thing happening for me. And I was learning about the menopause and it all just sort of came together. I realized that what I was talking to with my breast cancer patients actually applied to anyone who was having a menopause. And then when I started to look for people talking about sex and menopause, there wasn't anyone. So I just no. became the person who started talking about, I became known as Dr. Dry Fanny on LinkedIn, for example. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it just sort of happened. Dr. Dry Fanny. Brilliant. Oh, that is not what you want on your CV, is it really? No, no, definitely not. Definitely not on LinkedIn when people are looking for you for actual proper work and not... Oh, I love that. That's so good. <laughs> oh, my goodness me. But is there a sense that maybe if you're being treated for breast cancer, that there's so much else to worry about that sex life has sort of got thrown to the bottom of the pile of crap to worry about? That is my experience of it. To the, and the reason it was really came home to me about why this was so important is that I was treating a woman who had metastatic breast cancer. That, so that's cancer that she'd previously had treated and had come back. So metastatic cancer means it's secondary cancer. She wasn't going to be cured of it. She was going to die at a significantly younger age than she would have otherwise. And she came in and she sat down and I said, well, what's going on? She really wasn't in a good headspace. And she said, you know, I'm dying of breast cancer anyway. I'm not dying right now, but I will die of this breast cancer. Hmm. And I can't have sex with my husband and I'm not sure which is worse. And at that point, it really began to <sighs> sit with me about actually wow. we're not really we're not really preparing people. Now, she, that's happening to thousands and thousands and thousands of women who will be mm. cured from their breast cancer, but actually don't have anywhere to go. And often there's this sense of, you know, I should just be glad to be alive number one and I don't want to bother I don't want to bother anybody with that because there's all these other things going on number two so all of that is really it took me to realizing that this was important and then looking at the menopause more widely realizing exactly the same thing was happened to people who were having menopausal experience naturally induced menopauses so the same things apply I think for many women at our stage in life which is it gets shoved to the bottom of the pile because there's so many other things going on. And we also, you know, we induce a lot of health-related anxiety. So people who will be cured of their breast cancer but on hormone treatment, for example, will become absolutely anxious about any mention about estrogens and all the rest of it. So when actually some of the, and, and obviously if you've had a, an estrogen-sensitive breast cancer, it, the guidelines are that you are not offered HRT. So th now that 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 is the current guidance there are circumstances in which it might be perfectly appropriate for someone to have HRT and there's there's those of us working to identify who those people might be correctly but a bigger aspect of that is about vaginal estrogens you know when we're talking about sex for example hmm. um the genital urinary syndrome of the menopause which includes vaginal atrophy and dryness and loss of tissue and loss of sensation and urinary symptoms and all those kind of things can be really really profound when we're making people extra menopausal with their breast cancer treatment and that might be something that if if non-hormonal methods don't work then other methods might be helpful so does it mean losing tissue as well as everything else? Yeah, so it's real. So one of the things that, you know, quite often people will come to me when they come to me and they say, I just feel like it's disappearing and I feel like my clitoris is shrinking and they think they're going mad, but that's actually happening. So the really? process, yeah, the process of vaginal atrophy. I never knew how big my clitoris was anyway. Well, and therein lies the problem is how do Doesn't you know? It? How do you know that it's different if you've never looked before? Yeah. And I come across people who've never looked. They have no idea what their vulva looks like. Helen's putting her hands up at this point. I can't what? wait for this question. <laughs> Helen, when, when was the last time you measured your clitoris? No, I was just to say, but listen, because we've been talking a lot about breast cancer and, and surgical menopause here. But I mean, all of this, everything that you've talked about is for menopause irrespective of whether you've had cancer yeah, or not, absolutely. right? absolutely. So, th so that is really why I became invo involved in this more widely is because actually the experience that these people were having, that it's exactly the same for everyone else. So mm. yes, if you think, hmm, it just doesn't feel quite the same down there, it doesn't feel quite as plump, I'm sure my lips are shrinking, my clitoris doesn't feel as it did before, that's probably true. But people, because we don't talk about it, because one, we don't know what it was like before, so we don't really have something to measure it by. And two, we don't talk about it. People don't know that. But yes, the process of atrophy means all of those tissues that are in our pants are atrophying. That word means dying. That literally is what it means, <gasps> that those tissues are dying right. off. Oh. So you can tell by you can tell by looking. I can tell by looking really? when you've got wow. atrophy It's such a terrifying phrase, oh. that. Oh, it's horrible, isn't atrophy. it? Actually terrifying. Oh, genitals are dying. up vaginas. Yep. Right. Hmm. Do you remember a while ago, girls, we were talking about um, 
uh, I'd read this newspaper article basically said it was like a massive like percentage of women that didn't know they had three holes. Oh yeah, yeah. you guys yeah, we flipped were about really it, didn't really we? surprised. Yeah. You couldn't believe it, but like so you you saying there, Claire, that you know people haven't looked you know down mm-hmm. there to see what they look like. It doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, I think it was, think it was something like sixty percent or something yep. ridiculous. Didn't know. I know. You know, and and that part and parcel of that is important as well when when we're thinking about people's experience at the menopause is that you may not necessarily experience vaginal dryness or pain or not lubricating when you're aroused and all those kind of things, but you might have urinary symptoms. You might have the classic what we call latchkey incontinence, which is you get your key in the door and you suddenly need to go. Mm-hmm. All of those symptoms are also related to this lack of estrogen in, in the pelvis, basically. And our urethra, that's the hole that we pee out of is exquisitely sensitive to estrogen. So increased numbers of urinary tract infections, for example, um, episodes of incontinence, be that stress incontinence or urge incontinence or um, any other kind of experience where you're leaking, um, all of those things are related to estrogen loss. But I, I know that, you know, if you, you don't have to, if you're worried, you know, on the breast cancer side of things, you can actually have topical estrogen, can't you? Yeah. So I think what what I would like people to know about the experience that they're having in their pants at menopause is it is extremely treatable, extremely treatable and very effectively treatable with local vaginal estrogens. Now, some people may choose to have full HRT and that may be enough for them not to experience these um, degenerative urinary syndrome of menopause. But actually, it might not be. 25% of people who are using full HRT will still have some vaginal symptoms. So I think it's really important that people understand that, that you know, even if you're using full HRT, it might not be enough on its own for that local. And then local vaginal estrogens is the way forward if you want to do something about it. And So you can use both simultaneously? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You can use them both together. There's no reason not to use them both together because we know that the absorption of that estrogen used in the vagina to the rest of your body is actually very, very small. So over a year's worth of use of estrogen in the vagina locally only equates to the same concentration as one HRT tablet over that same year. Mm -hmm. So the amounts of estrogen that get into the rest of your body are very, very small. And so even if, leaving breast cancer aside, even if you're somebody who's choosing not to use HRT for whatever reason, or you don't have other symptoms, maybe this is your main symptom and you don't feel that you need full HRT, but you do have vaginal symptoms or urinary symptoms, then local vaginal estrogen can be extremely effective. And it works. It really, really works because it's simply replacing the estrogen that would have been there anyway. Mm. So if I wanted this vaginal cream, yep. would I have to go to my new doctor who's quite elderly and quite religious and a man? Would I have to do that and go and ask for this? Because I just can't bear it. There are now ways to get vaginal estrogen over the counter. So there is a product that you can get over the counter. However, you would then have to pay for it. Now, I live in Scotland, so our prescriptions are free. So actually, if you were going here, I would tell people to go to their GP and get a prescription because it's free. We're um, all thinking of moving, to be honest. Yeah. They're, they're all wales. Yeah. <laughs> However, so so, but being being mindful that it would be another prescription mm. charge if you're in England, it'll be another prescription charge. So um, you can use HRT. Full HRT might solve the problem. If you don't want to use full HRT or you've still got problems, you can use local vaginal estrogens. And there's different ways that that comes. It comes in creams and it comes in tablets and it comes in little kind of gel type pessaries. And they're all the same stuff that's in them. So it just depends on your on your preference. And um, they're extremely effective. And, and one of the things I would really like your listeners to understand is that many of the symptoms of menopause will get better with time. So the hot flushes and all of those things over time will generally get better. Vaginal atrophy will not. It will not get better. So if you have it, you will likely, it will likely to continue to deteriorate over time. It doesn't get better. There's no magic estrogen coming from somewhere else to help those tissues work functionally. So if you have it, I suggest to people that they don't wait to go and get but treatment. because HRT it's, should help it, should it? And I've got a feeling it may have helped. Yeah, it can, yes, it can for some people, absolutely. But 25% of people, so one in four people using full HRT will still need additional vaginal support. Okay. So I'm going to share something, some personal information here. So a couple of years ago when I had a smear test, it was the most painful experience yeah. I can possibly tell you about. And I've had plenty of smear tests throughout my life. I'm 52, so I'd had umpteen and they'd been fine. And it was horrific. So that when I went last time and had it, I was so terrified about going to the doctors. I was like, this is going to be horrific again. 
and it was fine. And I'm sure that's because I'd yeah. had been on HRT in those yeah, I think two that's years right. in between. I think that's absolutely right. So often what I will say to people if they're if they're due a smear and they've had a difficult experience is to use, and they don't want to use HRT for other reasons or it's just not on their radar, is for that purpose alone, using vaginal estrogen for three months just to be able to have your smear test yeah. can be really helpful. Wow. Save your fannies, people. blowing my mind. Save your fannies. I know. Save your yeah. fannies. We've got so that's, so that's, talking, that's talking about hormones, but there are other things to save your fannies, which is by the time you get to our age, this is the mantra, moisturise your face, moisturise your fanny. That's the way it goes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so there are non-hormonal ways to look after your vagina and they are specifically created vaginal moisturisers. You can also get them in prescription and you can buy them. There's a number of different black brands of them. But they contain hyaluronic acid, which is the same stuff that's in face creams that helps hold water. So oh, basically, wow. you use them two to three times a week in your fanny, and it helps the, the tissues to remain moisturized. And you can use good old coconut oil. That's what I usually tell people to use every day. Moisturize your face, moisturize your fanny. With why, coconut why we, oil. Why we, we never see that advertised in the women's <laughs> magazines do, or on no. TV, do we? I mean, no. yeah, hyaluronic acid bandied about left, right and centre, but I yep. have no idea it could I bet Gwyneth well. Paltrow's talking about it on her. Uh, yeah, along with steaming and all sorts of jade <laughs> eggs and all sorts of other things, which I don't have anything against. You, know, I, For me, anything that brings people into some sort of emotional connection with their genitals can only be good I, you know you hear lots of people talking things about Gwyneth and this and that but actually I don't really care what people do to come into connection with their genitals whether it's looking touching experiencing looking after it's all about we, there is a concept in, in sexuality um work about this concept of what's called the genital hole which is that actually we have bodies that we're aware of from kind of the top of our head to about our belly button and then our mm. awareness starts again somewhere mid-thigh and there's this hole in the middle that if I ask you to close your eyes and concentrate on your left labia for example you're not going to be able to do that as easily if I ask you to close your eyes and concentrate on your left pinky finger so there's mm. this sense that we're, there's a quite a significant disconnect in our experience of our genitalia for all sorts of reasons um so anything that gets anything that gets people in touch with their fanny, I'm quite up. I mean, obviously, I just went to try to focus on my left labia right there. Just, just, I was just like, can I feel my left labia right now? Listen, I'm I'm really really interested in this stuff, right? Because I mean, I've heard you uh, chatting on other podcasts, Claire, and um, you know, the mind body connection comes up yeah. quite a lot. And you know, I'm someone who has like experienced trauma and done a lot of work on myself in order to like recover as much as I can from that trauma. And the mind body connection is is, is very important. And I do yoga every day, and you know, um, but it just it had never occurred to me that all this stuff that we're talking about, like you know, getting into your body that actually it's just as important for sex as for anything else. It just hadn't occurred to me at all, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, the work that I do as a somatic sex educator is exactly that. It's about getting people into their body. And particularly for people who may have experienced trauma, now that might be trauma with a big T, it might be sexual trauma, it might be childhood trauma, whatever it is, actually getting people into their body can feel very unsafe. So a lot of the work that we have to do to begin with, and if you've experienced this, Helen, you'll know, is about creating a container of safety such that you can go into your body because if you if you have chronic anxiety for example your body doesn't feel like a very safe place to be so with good reason you want to dissociate from it the same with trauma so there's all sorts of things around getting into the body but in order to do that requires a level of safety and that that it, particularly if you've experienced trauma that needs an experienced holder of the space doesn't matter whether it's a therapist or whatever it is but needs somebody to to help you to be able to access your body because your body has an unbelievable capacity for pleasure and pleasure is hugely healing and the two things become very disconnected sometimes so there's really something important about being able to get into a body to experience what there is to experience in a human ex existence this is good to hear as well isn't it sex is good for you <laughs> bloody brilliant for you in all sorts of ways I feel so like I need more sex in my life I feel that it would improve my life massively so there's all sorts of issues around that Emma that I think are really really important so it is so the part that we've just been talking about the vulvar vaginal atrophy the more you use that system the more you engage in pleasure and arousal for example blood flow comes there that helps those tissues to withstand this atrophy process so the more you wank the better off your fanny will be. Brilliant. That's just the way it right. is. That's I mean, it's just a doctor's the way it prescription. Is. Doctor's prescription right. right there, everyone. 
<laughs> this is very, Absolutely. very on brand for effing hormones, Claire. Isn't Thank it? you very much because we do love, we love a lot of good swearing and that, yeah. I see. I've never heard a doctor say that. It's just absolutely brilliant. It's just refreshing. Well, it's important for all sorts of reasons. So, Helen, to come back to your point about the kind of mind-body connection, one of the other things I see about people at this stage in their life is we may be experiencing more stress than we've ever experienced in our life. So that could be related to your job position that you're in, the hormonal situation that's going on. You might have, if you have children, you may have teenagers who are a total pain in the arse. You might have elderly parents. There's all sorts of things going on. And our bodies physiologically cannot do stress and arousal at the same time. They're two separate systems. They're two separate systems. And stress will always win because stress is our sympathetic fight or flight primary way of staying safe, for example, that system will always win. So if it is on chronically all the time, it's very difficult to access the the arousal system, which is a different system in our brain altogether. And it will not switch on if you're dealing with a lot of stress. So when people come to me and and one of the biggest things I hear about is about libido and desire and all the rest of it, your body cannot and will not be able to experience that until you manage your levels of stress. It simply cannot do both of those things at the same time. So a lot of the work that I do with people is about relaxation, bringing them back into their body so they can experience it again, because stress also causes us to dissociate to a certain degree from the experience in our body. So the mind-body connection is really, really important, as is as well as the other things that come at this point in life, you know, how you feel about your body, your body confidence, all of that stuff also feeds into Mm. how likely you are to be sexually satisfied. So given how important sex is, maybe a good time to talk about why we all feel so reticent about talking about it. And I'm sure your patients have been the same, Claire, that, you know, people are just so scared and put off talking about it. And why is that? I think there's quite a lot of society, a lot of societal conditioning around sex. Um, you know, when I when I work with people, we start right back at the very beginning of their experience. What did you learn about sex? How did your mother speak to you about your body? What education did you get at school? What, how was sex talked about or not talked about? What was your education? I mean, I got, I'll tell you my story. I got a, a black book. It was lit. I can see it. It was a black book from the Catholic bookshop. Oh. That was the extent of my sex oh, I wish Terry was here. So, <laughs> no, I was, brought, I was brought up Catholic as well, you know. Yeah. yeah. Terry is a Terry, uh, convent girl. Is our Terry? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was just trying to think of like how she'd be enjoying this conversation right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you imagine that that is your early experience of what it means to be a sexual being, you don't you don't talk about it, you don't touch, or it's only you know nice girls don't do that. All of the messages that we received, I would hope that our children are receiving slightly different messages. I, I think to a certain degree they are, but if you think about the messages that we would have received as young you know, young people in the, you know, kind of 70s. We can't talk about it because it was naughty, it was bad, it was dirty. It was, And that's very ingrained with us from a very young age. So it's impossible often for people to talk about it. And, and there's a lot of shame because what comes alongside with that is we realise that actually it feels pretty good. So we've got all this conditioning about this is wrong and it's bad and it's dirty and it's this, but actually it feels a bit good. So there's a, there's a kind of internal conflict there that arises that, that mm-hmm. brings a lot of shame for a lot of people. And then if you're part of the LGBT community as well, then that's an extra extra level of shame, isn't there? You, you're yeah, definitely absolutely. told from a young age that you're wrong and you're different and you shouldn't yeah. be doing it. So Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot to break through here and there's a lot to sort of get over, isn't there? Because, I mean, I think I said before when we started recording, like, you know, and it, I'm so pleased that you had that conversation with us about stress because I think it's it can feel like an added pressure as well to go, oh, oh I need to be having a good sex life, right? And, you hmm. know... Like, I've, I've got the whole midlife thing going on. I've got, you know, my parents are getting older. I've got a young son. I've got, I'm trying to work, cost of living crisis. I'm a freelancer. You know, there's all that stuff going on. Most of the time I'm thinking, am I going to get enough sleep tonight? Because I'm so busy, right? And uh, so, yeah, sex, you know, sex is not going to come jumping over all that stuff, is it? You know, so where, where do we start? Where do we start with, like, if you're in that midlife situation, which so many of us, you know, are sandwiched in between all these things and and spinning all those plates? What I do is I start with people and we do a thing that's called an I want list. So I do this this kind of somatic piece where we drop people into their bodies and say, okay, 
just write it all out. What is it that you want? If we just, you know, narrow it down to what do you want to experience in your body? I, I just, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. Because the one thing that we're not conditioned to allowed to do at the age we are is to have what we want because everybody else's needs come first. In my case, that included the dog and you know whatever, <laughs> all, everything else that was going on always more was always more important than what I needed and what I wanted. And that is a surefire way to burn out. That's why mm. people burn out. And so, if I say to people that you don't need to want this, you don't. There is no. There's a lot of societal pressure, I think, sometimes about what sex should look like and what we should be experiencing and and what it you know how we should be feeling. And we'll talk about libido and desire in a minute. And we'll, bust a few myths there about what we're told it should look like and what actually we know from research it actually is um so if we're if we're thinking about where we want to be if this is not important to you at this point in your life then it's not important to you and that's okay nobody i'm not for one minute suggesting that everybody should be having sex they don't want to be having that's absolutely the antithesis of what i'm all about but what i do see is i have women who will come to me and they'll say if they're heterosexual and they're partnered, will come and say, "I need to have sex for my partner," and I say, "Is that <gasps> what we're is that what we're aspiring to? Mm-hmm. Are there aspirations for yourself beyond that that we can work with?" It just breaks my heart hearing that. You should not be having duty sex. Mm. If you don't want to have sex, that's one thing. Mm. But what then it does explore is why are you not have? Is it really that you don't want to? And if that's your choice and we go through that process, then that's fine. That's that's where you're at. But actually, do you want to be having? And if so, what is it? What is it that it's giving you? And what could you be experiencing if you wanted it? If you don't want it, that's fine. But actually, if you do want it, then what does you want it to look like now at this point in your life? So it all starts off with like very mentally then, which is really interesting, isn't it? So I think that, and maybe we can talk about the whole desire and libido piece, which is a thing I hear about all the time. My desire is gone, my libido is gone, and I say it was never there to begin with. Oh, really? The truth is, it was never really there to begin with, because what we are conditioned to believe is that desire and libido is something that suddenly strikes you out of nowhere and you're overwhelmingly horny and just want to fuck whatever comes across you, right? So that experience of desire is called spontaneous desire. And we know from research that those in male bodies are more likely to experience that that kind of body up experience of desire, noticing that they feel horny and wanted to do something with it. But what we know from research is the vast majority of people in female bodies experience what's called responsive desire. So that what that means is that once sexy things start to happen, then we realize, oh, this feels quite nice and I want to do more of this. It's called responsive desire and it's real. And what will happen is, and I'd be interested to know whether any of you have this experience, is once you get going, you go, God, why don't we do that more often? That was great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think that is the thing with sex. Once you have sex, you then have loads more sex. And if you don't have sex for ages, you're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, like go to the gym, and that's And that <laughs> is the power of responsive desire. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because if you are waiting for a bolt of desire to the fanny, it's not coming. <laughs> So you're waiting for something. You're waiting for something that isn't coming. So people come to me and say, I don't have desire and blah, blah, blah. And I said, it's not coming. Okay, what if it's never coming? So you've got to well, work on it. It's literally not coming. So you're not coming. It's literally not coming. <laughs> it's not coming. You're not going to be standing at the sink with your manacles on and suddenly be hit by a bolt of desire to the fanny. It's not coming. It does seem particularly cruel, doesn't it, that we've got all this conditioning, particularly sort of on the female side, that is absolutely completely against uh, you know how our bodies respond you know, exactly. to have sex so what i say to people okay so if you know that you have responsive desire if you know that your desire will kick in then to use a frame from a brilliant book by a woman called emily nagoski who wrote a book that called it's called come as you are she uses the phrase that says you need to put your body in the bed you need to put your body in the bed if you want to have and we can talk about the context and why you need to get the, the context of that right. That's really important for those in female bodies. But the if you want to have good sex, you have to choose it. Mm. And that's and that can be life-changing. I've got clients for whom that simple understanding can be life-changing. Oh, I'm waiting for this thing that's not coming. It's not actually ever going to come. So what does that mean? Oh, actually, I can choose. I can choose to put my body in the bed. I can choose to engage in... All sorts of activity. And this is the other thing. You know, sex means penis in a vagina. And I'm like, really? The lesbians are having better sex than you and there's no penises there. So let's talk about <laughs> well, that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, well said. So so there's the, the other sense of there is an opportunity at this point in our life to expand our repertoire of what we consider sex to be. 
and to, to experience that actually this whole body, this whole amazing piece of machinery that is the most fascinating, if you're a medic, fascinating piece of machinery, intricately designed. It's intricately designed to give you amazing amounts of pleasure if you want it. You have to want it. You have to want to access that. Probably should talk about testosterone as well. Have you found that um, your clients that are taking HRT, that are taking the testosterone as well, have a bit more of that sort of primeval urge, that other type of desire that you were talking about, that just sort of like you are literally in the middle of washing up and you go, I need to have sex now? So I have to be honest and say that my experience of testosterone is quite mixed in terms of the people that I know who've used it. And in general terms, that's because testosterone doesn't make you fancy somebody you no longer fancy mm-hmm. testosterone doesn't fix your shitty marriage testosterone doesn't manage <laughs> your elderly parents testosterone no. doesn't manage the wayward teenager there are some aspects of it that some people find really helpful and I'm, i don't want to take that away you'll, you'll have listeners who are going to work marvels for me it may well have done it is not a ma- in the same way that i always say hrt is not a magic bullet i had somebody in my clinic the other day said i really really want hrt she said breast cancer i really want hrt we dug into it a wee bit she said i'm going to kill my husband and we dug into that she doesn't want to be with her husband she hasn't wanted to be with her husband for three years she knows she needs to leave her husband and i said hrt is not going to get you out of this marriage you know that mm. is the thing that's actually driving it's not that the, the hrt may be useful in other circumstances but actually what she wanted it for was to manage the shitty situation that she's in testosterone for me has a little bit of the same flavor in that testosterone is not going to cure you of your previous sexual trauma. Your testosterone is not going to deal with your body issues. Your testosterone is not going to deal with all sorts of other aspects of that. And it may be useful for some people. So I think there's a balance to be had about why is it that you're taking it? And are you putting your body in the bed? Because if you're not putting your body in the bed, testosterone is going to do absolutely hee-haw, to be quite (laughs) frank. (laughs) Because if you're not making the circumstances in which you're going to have sex, the testosterone is going to do anything whatsoever. True. I mean, certainly I remember when we talked to one of our previous guests, Colette, who I think was she single at the time? Well, she certainly noticed an increase in desire anyway, and it it really definitely made a difference to her. And I think there's an important thing about desire as well as what's at the forefront of our mind. And you really kind of mentioned it there. Actually, Emma, you mentioned it and Helen in the reverse. You mentioned it. If it's not in our consciousness, if we're not thinking about it, then we're not going to experience it. So there's something about, you know, when you have sex, you want more sex. That's because the experience is at the forefront of your mind and you're giving it some focus and some attention. And that's an important part of um, keeping a sex life alive, particularly if it's a long-term relationship, which frankly can get boring. Let's face it, you know, being married to the same sexual partner or, or partnered with the same sexual partner for years and years and years, we know that people are far more likely to experience that spontaneous desire at the beginning of a relationship than they are in a longer-term relationship. So you really do have to choose. And people say, well, actually, well, I'm not bothered then. I said, okay, but what is it that sex brings you? And I think there's something else about this phase in life about what is it that I'm getting from this? It's intimacy, connection, touch. A lot of us are very touch-starved. There's there's a whole lot of things within a sexual experience that aren't just about whether somebody sticks something in or somewhere. Great quote, Claire. Great quote. <laughs> I'm feeling very enlightened. There's a lot of things being said here. That I'm processing. Is it all? Is it all like? Yeah, it's all in, just in. <laughs> I feel like we should do a poll with all our listeners after this. Listen to this episode. Did you have more sex? I think that it might happen. I think it might encourage and people. And I think even if you, st- even if what people go away with is this is possible for me. That's why, you know, that's why the Facebook group that I've got is called The Pleasure Possibility. You need to know that it's available and it's Mm. possible for you. You have to be open to the possibility before it can come to you. It's the same in anything in life, but it's particularly around this when people feel, how do I fit it into my busy life? Actually, it's a bit sore down there. I'm actually a bit tired. I'm not really that arse. I don't know if I still fancy him or her. Whatever it might be, um, all of those things can be worked through. And your sexuality is your own. The other thing I see a lot is that, you know, it, it, it is yours. And self-pleasure is a big part of what I teach people, actually, how to engage in a self-pleasure practice that feels nourishing for you. You teach that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Teach wanking. You teach wanking. <laughs> Go on, then. <laughs> what, is, this like a work, is this like a workshop? Or a, what, yeah, well, well, mainly... At the minute, mainly with my one-to-one clients, I teach my one-to-one clients to wank, and I have a program that we're just about to launch. I'm really excited about it, and it has a whole week 
in that program about self-pleasure. Because if you don't know how to pleasure yourself and if you don't know how to pleasure yourself in this body as it is now, then it's very difficult to know how you would direct someone else to give you pleasure, particularly mm. if you are thinking about expanding your repertoire. If you've been with a partner for a long time, my experience is people have sex the same way they've always had sex. And there may be reasons. The other the other side of the equation, if we're talking about heterosexual couples, is you know midlife men might be having their own issues in relation to um, erectile dysfunction and all sorts of other things might be going on if it's a male partner, for example. Or you might have a female partner, in which case you're both having the menopause at the same time, and that sounds like an absolute fucking nightmare. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's there's things about about thinking about your partnered experience and actually what is it that you're doing this for and do you want to do it differently do you want to learn new things and a good way of learning new things is to engage in self-pleasure and figure out what is this body like now mm. um, I've always wanted to try that and I haven't or um, sex toys sex toys are a massive thing for me so the whole week in the course just about sex toys because it's a way of being able to have new experiences I around. love the fact this is a course this is amazing <laughs> you know I was just I'm so clueless. I thought things like this only happened in America. You know, you no. went on wanking <laughs> what, courses. Sex toys? <laughs> no, not sex toys. You know, like sex courses. No, like, like sex courses. Yeah, courses. wanking. Of course, yeah. wanking. I've heard of those happening yeah. in New York, but I've not heard of it happening in Glasgow. So yeah. I have been enlightened. <laughs> well, there you go. I, but I it's so it's so important. It's so yeah. important that people have the freedom and the safety to explore their own body that's capable of phenomenal amounts of pleasure if only we would take the time to figure it out. Hey, and it's free, isn't it? Cost of every crisis, free, free it's entertainment. It's free entertainment, it's good, good for you, it's yeah. good for your stress levels, it's good for sleep, it's good for brain fog, it's good for the vaginal atrophy as we've spoken about before, and it feels good, why would you not? Do you know, it's funny, because we were talking about like what things were like when you were a kid, and I can remember, like, it just... It was like wanking, like women didn't wank. Do you know what I mean? It just didn't happen, uh, I mean, you know, in the, in the lexicon oh, around me. Of course it did, but I'm just saying in the culture. I think Bina's got something to tell us about that. But it wasn't, it wasn't something that was talked about, was it? Was yeah. it? No, it wasn't and talked about. I mean, and I can remember, like, I don't know if you guys read Judy Bloom, but yeah. there's like the famous yeah. Judy Bloom book, isn't there, where she, she has a wank, doesn't mm -hmm. she? And that is like the only thing. Mm, that's true. That's the only thing that I read when I was a kid, when I was, you know, getting getting older. And I, honestly, when I first read that, I didn't know what was going on. I had, I just didn't understand what was happening at all. Yeah. You know. And you know, self pleasure is such a, it's such a nourishing activity. If we can deal with the the shame and the voices and the things that we were told and all the rest of it you have you have to do that first so when I work with people that's where we start we have to we have to take some stuff and old shite and old beliefs to the charity shop to make room for new things and once we've got rid of some of the old beliefs and the things and what we've given and the conditioning and and, and and experiences and trauma and all sorts of other things then then what's left is well what do you what do you want to take on now what beliefs do you want to take on now because I can guarantee that your sex life has been run by the things that you believed when you were 12. Mm. and unless you do something with that unless you're willing to open that up and go does that still serve me does that belief still serve me and I think this is an ideal point in life to do that this midlife transition piece is an act to get it all out I say oh god I believe that you know I wore skinny I'll tell you a story I wore skinny jeans for the first time right because I had this belief that I looked ridiculous in skinny jeans and my partner Christina bought me some skinny jeans and said put them on now I believe I look ridiculous in skinny jeans. Now it turns out I don't, but, I, but you know, so there's all those things that we carry through life and actually this is a perfect time to unpack it. Mm. Do I really believe that wanking is something dirty and wrong? Actually, as a late 40s woman, now actually I could probably leave that one aside. Now we need to help people to work through why they mm. believe that and how to let go of it. But actually that's a completely ridiculous thing to believe. So if I can let go, it makes room for a new experience. Do you know, honestly, it's like we, we've talked so much about, um, you know, how menopause is an opportunity for uh, on the positive side of things to like, you know, get rid of the imposter syndrome and like, you know, kind of have a rebirth in a way. Yeah. And actually, you know, this aspect of it hasn't occurred to us, has no. it, girls? You know, no. No. and I think, you know, you, and, and to not to get too woo woo about it, but there's a whole other aspect about sexuality linked with spirituality and actually sexuality is our life force energy it's the thing that makes the plants grow it's the things that make 
the lambs in spring. It's 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 actually the energy in which life is mm-hmm. built and is within each of us. You have access to that amazing, phenomenal life force energy to do with what you will if you want to be in touch with it. And you might not, but if you do, it's just a phenomenal universal experience to be alive. And that's what your sexuality is. And the best bit of this for me when I'm when I'm working with clients is, is not that they have better sex lives. I, that's great. But actually, it's that they leave shitty managers and they get better jobs and they hmm. go on round the world trips. That's the bit that actually lights me up is when you're in touch with your sexuality, it is a life force energy that you can use to do whatever the hell you want in the world. It is Brilliant. your power. It is the seat of your power. Oh, no wonder wow. Carmel gave you an effing board. <laughs> <laughs> I think Helen had a question about tantric sex, didn't you, Helen? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Is this where tantric sex comes into the whole thing? I mean... So, people talk... People, I talk about tantric... Or I, I hear people talk about tantric sex and everybody goes, isn't that what Sting does and doesn't it last for hours? Exactly. That's what everybody of our age says. Sting. Hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, that there are... There are there are things to be mindful of around using, even using the word tantra, for example. So there's there's elements of cultural appropriation and, and misrepresentation of what tantra actually is. I mean, tantra was an ancient spiritual practice. There were some aspects of sexuality within that, but not many. Those bits were taken by Westerners about 100 years ago and made into this idea of tantra, which technically we would now call neo-tantra or new tantra, but I'll not get too geeky about it all. But the idea about tantra is, is about harnessing and using your internal sexual energy and mingling or not mingling that or using that with a partner should you so choose but it's actually about this idea that your sexuality is an an energetic experience in your body and that you can do things with that and there's lots of ways you know so a lot of tantras are around slowness connectedness there's lots of lovely aspects to it And, and most of it can be boiled down to if we want to just take the essences of it it's about slowing down it's about slowing down and really being present with the experience in every minute, not being goal orientated, so not rushing to orgasm, which can also be difficult for people at this age if, if it, the orgasm can become a bit more elusive. Um, so it's about really enjoying the experience of it, the energetic experience of it. It's actually quite revolutionary, all this, isn't it? I, I think this is one of the best conversations I've ever had. Honestly, <laughs> this is, also this is the quietest you've ever been, Bina, on an on an interview. I have to say, I'm, I'm fascinated. You know I'm learning. She's learning. Yeah. Yeah. She's just taking it all in. Pleasure is a political act. Ooh, I like yeah. that. So there's all sorts of aspects, and, and particularly for people in black and brown skin, for example, there's all sorts of other aspects of political aspects about all of this kind of thing and pleasure, and who's allowed pleasure and who's not allowed pleasure. Um, there's all sorts of other aspects of that, but pleasure. Engaging in pleasure is a political act in terms mm. of doing what is right for this body, for you in this moment, irrespective of what you might be being told should or should not be pleasurable. But engaging in pleasure, being happy, being settled, being contented, all of the things that can come from being in touch with who you genuinely are, and that includes your sexuality. If you want to be a full human in a full human experience, sexuality is a part and parcel of that. It's amazing. Right, Dr. Claire McCauley for president. (laughs) (laughs) We're voting for that. Wow. That was the best party political broadcast I've ever heard. (laughs) The pleasure party. Here we go. We'll start with the pleasure pleasure party. party. I think that catch. We are voting you in. Well, as Emma says, it's rendered me almost speechless. Just so much. So many gems there, like. And listen, I mean, one of the things that people say, because Carmel said, uh, she, one of the things she she said about you, which I loved, is that you, you talk about sex on LinkedIn. And like, you know, how does that go down? <laughs> well, bits of it are tricky because people want me to be something else. So I, you know, I do other things as well. And I, you know, I, I do executive coaching and I do this and I do that. And somebody came to me once and said, we really want to put you forward for this big contract that we're, that we're going for. But do you think you could set up a separate LinkedIn profile? Because we think it'll put people mm-hmm. off. And I, and I was, I wasn't taken aback because I said, no, I, it, there, there can be something sometimes a little bit lonely about pushing that age and knowing that you're doing things that people find uncomfortable um, and becoming a, projected onto about all of people's stuff right so there's that bit so I I think I've just learned to take it on the chin a little bit and take it a little bit because it's actually quite funny we don't need to be too serious about all this kind of stuff it can actually be quite funny Um, and that's how I think I've learned to to deal with some of that aspect of it which is about using humor because 
it's funny we don't have to take ourselves too seriously mm. and it's not doing anybody any harm you know i think that's the important thing so it can be it can be a bit mixed helen to, to, to well, be i mean there. that's exactly the approach that we've took with effing hormones you know because yeah. i mean it, like now after it feels like loads of people are talking about perimenopause and menopause but when we first started like you know, no. people weren't talking about perimenopause. So we thought, well, if we have a laugh with it as well, yeah. then it just makes everything easier, doesn't it? Yeah, humour yeah. makes everything better. Humour makes sex better. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can weld it into anything. You know, not taking yourself too seriously mm. is really important because it can be a lot of performance anxiety and mm-hmm. shit, what if I don't come? What is he going to think? All that kind of stuff. But actually, if you just lighten it all up a little bit, there's a lot more fun to be had. Mm. Have you have you had any sort of negative? Obviously, you just talked about that LinkedIn experience, but have you had any other kind of negative, like any backlash or people telling you to? Yeah, I mean, because people have their stuff, you know, people, all sorts of things come through for people. People who may have had a particularly strict religious upbringing, for example, um, you you know, the kind of born again Christians hate me, but the, there's all of that stuff, you know, because I'm demonic or what there's all of those things and and i just kind of try my very best to take that stuff on the chin people have their stuff that is their experience and they're imperfectly entitled to their opinion i don't have to agree with them but i don't have to fight with them either you know i just think is i i tend to choose to live some of this by example and just go this really doesn't need to be we don't need to be too heavy weather to use a scottish phrase about a lot of this you know it just is the opportunity to be real. There's nothing more real and more vulnerable than talking about sex. Um, and I, yes, sometimes, and I just take it on the chin, Bina, to be mm. honest. That's actually quite a compassionate uh, way to look at it as well, especially with people who are sort of calling you demonic and thinking all those things. It's it, That's a lot of compassion you're showing back. The, people have People have their stuff for whatever reason, and they certainly don't need to be... And they may not even be aware of it, of course, because a lot of the things that we believe about sex are very subconscious and can be very subconscious because a lot of it comes very early. So people can choose to believe whatever they want. They can project whatever they want onto me. But actually, it's I don't have to take that on. I don't have to take that on board. I know why I do this work. I know how life-changing it can be for people. And I know how sacred sexuality can be because underneath all of this, there's a sacred in every desire. There's, you know, there's a, there's a human need and a want under anything that people express in their lives, you know, because I, I work with people who may have what may what we sometimes call troublesome turn-ons. So people who may have things which cause them distress about the fact that they're turned on by a certain thing. And that that is usually a perfectly understandable, rational response to something that happened in childhood, for example, or, you know, or, or might actually be completely normal, but they've been very shamed for it. So, you know, and we don't need to be piling on any more shame to anyone else. So whatever people think, whatever people want to project onto me or tell me about the work that I do, usually that's coming from a place of, of hurt often. Sometimes a complete lack of education or understanding or whatever else, um, or or a, just a different belief system to mine, and that's okay. You're entitled to your different belief system to me, and I don't really need to take it on board. Fantastic. Thank you. Okay, so the coach, the coach in me, then the coach in me wants to know what one small thing are you going to take and do something with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More wanking. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, uh, that's that's the one. Yeah, I think I'm going. I'm going to do a want list. Yeah, perfect. Because I need to start like breaking out of that, you know. Because we, we we talked to um, our last episode with Mira Bogle. I mean, we talked about yoga, and she talked about cortisol a lot, and um and how you can sort of become addicted to cortisol. And I I do feel I'm quite easily I tip into that quite easily. So actually, that I need that's what I need to start unhooking myself from. Well, I'll tell you what, Helen, here's here's an offer for you. Why don't I make you, uh, I'll send you a meditation piece to help Ooh. you do your right one list. And if you want to share it with people, you can share it. Yeah, with that sounds brilliant. Love a bit of meditation. I'll yeah. send you, I'll Fantastic. send you a little audio file of something that you can use. Oh, oh fab. What are you doing then, Bina? Well, wanking. <laughs> well, you're doing the wanking as well. Maybe we could both go on the wanking course. I think we should. <laughs> Might learn I'm up, something. I'm up for that. <laughs> yeah. But there's actually something extremely sacred and beautiful about being in a, a self-pleasure ritual with other people which sounds ridiculous i know that you're going to go really clear what you're talking can't, about no but actually that i've i have been in and held a number of self-pleasure rituals where people are having their own experience but they're having it in a in a held ritual container with other people 
something really, really special about that. We should t- send Terry on that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tessa. <laughs> Volunteer her for it. Yeah, she'll love that. Well, Claire, thank you. You've well and truly blown our minds. And if other people want to get in touch with you and maybe go on one of these amazing courses, how can they get a hold of you, Claire? Well, I would be absolutely delighted to welcome anyone who wants to come into a private Facebook group that I have that's called The Pleasure Possibility, to where we share. And people come and share their challenges and they come and tell me when they bought a sex toy and how they got on. And it's just a really lovely space to come and have conversations. That actually, there may not be... A, any other place for people to have these conversations. So if people want to come and join me, they'll find me at The Pleasure Possibility. You're welcome to request to join and it would be lovely to have people come and join us. I think we probably can end it there. We think, well, I'm I'm just blown away by that conversation. So thank you so much. And I'm actually really proud of all of us because we did all talk about sex a little bit. Yes. Well done, girls. (laughs) And just to acknowledge that it is hard you know and actually and you're doing this and it's out there and it's in the public and all of that kind of thing and I really you know I really appreciate people who are willing to stand alongside me and have me on things because I understand that mm. it's edgy so I'm really grateful that, you, that we had the oh, opportunity to have to a chat you. thank you yeah well let's give it a big clap thank you so much Dr Claire McCauley what you deserve absolute... that effing Claire well done uh, have, have one from us That's exactly well. what I was going to say Helen so listen terry we were absolutely gutted but you couldn't be there when we interviewed claire so but i think we needed someone like that on the podcast didn't we because we've all been a little bit reticent a little bit shy about talking about sex so rude yeah and it's a personal thing isn't it you don't really want to start talking about you know vaginal dryness I haven't said it for a while but you don't want to talk about these issues do you you don't want to talk about you know what was it called Um, genitourinary symptoms of the menopause you know all the things that might happen not to everybody but they do happen to a lot of women and you know it's sometimes it's even hard to go to your doctor so you know discussing it on a public podcast is not as easy is it so but yeah she she really did make it sound easy to speak to her or easy to talk about didn't she she just broke down those barriers she really really did and I think that the biggest thing that I've taken away from it like how she kind of really blew my mind was that actually you know a lot of our expectations and conditioning around this they're just so rooted in in the patriarchy I really like the idea that learning to embrace this part of your life is actually revolutionary I love that idea and actually if I look back over the whole of series three I feel like I've been kind of I was going to say going on this journey. I hate that phrase, but I have gone on a journey. I'm like, and yeah, you still and yeah, I'm use still going to use it. I know that I've actually sort of accepted the fact that you know I am I am actually a feminist because I I don't know if you had this, but in the nineties it was like oh no I'm not a feminist. It was it was it was a bit of a, people were sarcastic about it. But actually, the more that we've learned, so for example, speaking about that book, Rebel Bodies, that you interviewed um, Sarah, the author, about mm. a few months ago, Emma, you know, there really is like research and statistics to show that women are just routinely discriminated against in the health service and, you know, everything that Dr. Louise Newson talked to us about. And it's made me just think, no, it's not bloody right. And I'm bloody well sick of it. And, and, and let's fight against it. Which if you'd said to like 22 year old me that I'd be in this place right now, I would have I probably would have sort of curled my lip in a sort of slightly cynical 90s way and gone, oh, no, no, we don't need to worry about that stuff anymore. It's all sorted out. No, it really isn't, is it? I think we've proved that this series. But what's nice this series as well is we've just talked to so many women who have really empowered us, I think, and have really been fighting for our rights. So thinking about Carolyn Harris MP as well. I mean, that was an amazing episode, wasn't it? I absolutely loved talking Mm. to her. She was just a real powerhouse, I thought. And she's still doing such amazing work as well and, you know, still fighting the good fight. And the more her voice and other voices, you know, are shouting from the rooftops about women's health and menopause and polycystic ovaries and menopause pain and period pain and all the issues now that are starting to come to the the front that, you know, then we're all doing our job, aren't we? We're all, as long as one woman is realizing that she can do something about her own Mm. issues and not have to suffer in silence or you know not have to suffer at all or if she's not suffering but a friend is suffering to be able to say to them you don't have to you know it doesn't have to be like this yeah Yeah, it's really inspiring isn't it 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 really is inspiring to see people feeling more confident and comfortable talking about things like that all of these things and getting it out in the open because you know when you when you talk about it more then you start to identify what the issues are and there's power in that isn't there 
Yeah. Yeah, totally. And there was something, I mean, I know we're going to come to it in a minute, but there was something that Claire was saying about how it's like your 12-year-old self imposes these views on you about your body or about sex or what have you, because you've already learned or you, you think you need to know by that point about, you know, your taboos or your, you know, your insecurities. And that was quite empowering for me, hearing her talk about how mm. start questioning why you think certain ways about certain things, not just sex, but your body, the way you approach intimacy and libido and everything. It was just, I just found it absolutely fascinating. And in a sense, it's not something I would have talked about with the nuns at school, because mm. um, to be fair, they probably would start saying the Hail Mary for us. Um, you know, but, you know, religion, even even in, without the context of a religious school, you know, society wouldn't let you discuss those kind no. of issues as a woman. You don't discuss, you know, masturbation. It's a dirty word or, you know, you don't discuss sexual feelings or arousal or attraction or any of that kind of stuff it was kind of a a dirty thing you did when you had a drink with your friends you know and you might start talking about sex and it all got quite funny but it's actually really quite empowering to think that there are people who are helping women not just who've had cancer or who are living with cancer to have better sexual experiences or come to terms with their body but also working with women as a whole to make them realize that you know you don't have to have duty sex. You don't have to do something for others. It's about what it does for you and what you want from it as well. Anyway, I don't know what I'm saying, but it's just, it was just, I, f- I found it absolutely fascinating. I was gutted I wasn't there to be honest. Oh, I know. But I, I really enjoyed listening to it. We were Thanks gutted as well. Um, yeah. No, it's, um, but listen, it's, it's there for everyone to hear. It's there for you to hear. And yeah, listen, I'm sure we'll invite her back on again sometime, to be honest with you, because there, there's more conversations we could have with her, definitely. Definitely. And yes, that is it for this episode. Now, like I said, we will be having a little break over the summer, but we will be back before you know it. And in the meantime, what or who do you want to hear about on Effin Hormones? Let us know by either leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or you can get in contact via our Facebook page. Simply search for Effin Hormones Podcast on Facebook and we should pop up. Remember to follow this podcast so Effin Hormones will drop into your podcast feed as soon as we're back. Thank you so much for listening. Take Thank care. You. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. See you Bye. after the Bye. summer. Love ya. Mwah. <laughs> Mwah. In the summer. In the city. <laughs> Hot damn summer in the city. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well.